Hi, I'd like to welcome you to our show. I'm your host, Praying Medic. We're talking about life as a child of God and all things related to his kingdom. Thanks for joining us. If you're a new listener to the show, you can find articles and books and other resources on my website, www.prayingmedic.com. Now let's jump into this week's show. How many of you, of you have never heard of me before? I have no idea who I am. Okay. Well, I am a paramedic. I've been working as a medic for 35 years. Uh, I was an atheist until I was 38 years old. And then I met Jesus. Uh, in 2008, I began having dreams. And the first dream I had, the Lord came to me in the dream and said, I want you to pray with your patients. I'll show you what's wrong with them. And if you pray with them, I will heal them. Amen. This was at a point in my life where I did not believe in healing or miracles. So when the Lord began to talk to me about the supernatural, it was mostly through dreams. Since then, I've had over 400 dreams just about healing. In the last year, most of them have been about emotional healing. And what I haven't told anybody, at the end of 2016... In November and December, when I wasn't dreaming about Donald Trump, I was dreaming about people with multiple personality disorders, DID. So the Lord started me out with some revelation about things like PTSD and bipolar depression, and then it progressed on to DID. So the Lord is revealing to his body and giving us strategies on how to heal more and more complex things. And I'm going to get into that here later on, not right away. But the dreams are coming, and if you do not have dreams, ask the Lord for dreams, and he'll give you dreams. He'll give you very significant dreams. Journal them, write them down, learn how to interpret them. Because the Lord is able to give you very, very personal, significant revelations through dreams. Um, I, I treasure my dreams. I love them. So there I was. After God said, I want you to pray for your patients, heal them. I didn't know anything about healing. So started watching some videos. Todd White happened to come out a couple of years earlier. We started to do some YouTube videos. And I read John Wimber's book, Power Healing. And I started to get a little revelation about how, you know, the first two months I was very mousy, quiet little prayers trying to get people healed in the ambulance and nobody got healed, not surprisingly. I didn't understand the tools that God has given us to heal people. And he has given us a lot of tools. Tonight, the talk is going to be about the tools he's given us to do ministry, to do healing. After Jesus called the 12 disciples, After he said, come and follow me, what was the next thing he told them? Yes, exactly. I am sending you out to the cities before me where I'm going to go. And I want you to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers, and proclaim the kingdom. Five things. Okay? They went out and did it. 
They did not go to Bible college. They did not go to seminary. They did not go to Judean School of Supernatural Ministry. They had no training. They just went out and did it. Okay? Now, they did have a couple of things in their tool belt. One thing was Jesus told them, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. Okay? Why did he give them authority? What is authority? Authority is one of the most poorly understood things in the church. I can't tell you how many times I have seen prayer requests on Facebook where someone was screaming out, I'm claiming my authority. I'm standing on my authority. I'm claiming my authority. Like, authority is something we need to claim or stand on or make a lot of noise about our authority. Let me ask you a question. If a police officer walks into a convenience store and sees a robbery in progress, is he going to run in there and scream, I'm claiming my authority. I'm exercising my authority over you. You reprobate. The police officer doesn't scream and holler about his authority. He has tools, handcuffs, and a gun. Okay, right? He has a handcuff if he wants to apprehend the victim, the suspect, not the victim. He has a phone to call the paramedic for the victim. So he has a gun and, a ha and handcuffs. He can use lethal force or non-lethal force, right? How does he know which one to use? He has to gauge the opponent and decide if the criminal represents an immediate life threat to anybody that's in that store. If the police officer has determined that somebody in that store, is, their life is in danger, he has the right to use lethal force to stop them. He can shoot them. If the police officer decides to pull his gun and shoot the criminal, the bullet has gunpowder in it. It explodes. There's a flash. The bullet is sent out of the gun. It hits the perpetrator. The bullet goes in, makes a cavity, rips open blood vessels and muscles, and the perpetrator bleeds to death. That is the bullet explosion traveling 900 feet per second. This is all energy, energy transfer. Okay? The bullet hits his arteries, rips him open. Energy. There's a release of energy. Power. Dunamis. In the scriptures, when you read about power, the Greek word is dunamis. Okay? It's energy. It's power. Okay. That is not authority. That is power. Energy and power are able to make a change in parts, pieces of your body. If Tom was born without an eye, or an ear, or a kidney, or if he had a broken femur, humerus, frozen shoulder, what I do to heal him is I release power not authority. You don't release authority. You release power. 
Jesus said, Acts chapter 1, before he ascended, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father. When the Spirit comes, you will be endued with power from on high. So when the Holy Spirit comes, he gives us his power. We have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. We have the same power that raised Christ from the dead. All the fullness of Christ dwells in us. We do not lack the power necessary to do anything. All things are possible to those who believe. So if Tom needed his shoulder healed, typically what I'm going to do is I'm going to lay on hands and, and the Holy Spirit, the power that is in me, flows through me into him and the power heals the injury or the sickness. That's power. That's energy. That's how Reiki healers, you go to Sedona, you go to the crystal shops and the tarot card readers and the psychics. They can do signs. Witches can make things levitate. They can cast spells. They use power. They're concentrating and focusing energy, which is power. Tonight, they're trying to use it against the president, if you don't know. They're trying to all collectively use their power against the president. Tonight. Tonight. They are all across the country casting spells against the president. I'm suggesting our prayer, if you're interested, is since love overcomes evil, I'm suggesting we pray that they become overcome, overwhelmed by the love of God. That we would pray that God's love would overwhelm them so that they would not use their power against anyone. Because power can be used for good, can also be used for evil. What they don't have is authority. Because authority is relational. If that policeman, when he goes into that store, he has authority to use deadly force because he is given authority by the police chief and the mayor and the governor. If he does not have a relationship with the police chief, he does not have authority to carry the badge and to use that gun. If you are in the military and you're a private, you have commanding officers. You'll have a sergeant and you'll have a colonel and a general who are over you. Authority has rank and it is relational. If you do not have a good standing good relationship with the one who gives you authority, your authority is taken away from you. So, if the colonel irritates the general enough, the colonel can get busted down to a private. He can have his authority taken away by the one who gives it, the general. Lucifer had great authority. He was the anointed cherub who covered the mercy seat. He was the worship leader. He was equal in authority to Michael and Gabriel. But he rebelled against the Lord. And when he rebelled, he was kicked out of heaven and he lost his authority. So, authority 
but it's relational. If you don't have a relationship with one who gives it, you don't have authority. Power is not relational. Power and energy exist in the universe, and we all have access to them. Okay, New Agers and witches all have access to power. They don't have access to authority. Which is why Jesus said, I give you authority over the power of the enemy. Amen. Because the enemy doesn't have authority. The enemy only has power. When Jesus told his disciples to go out and heal the sick and raise the dead and cast out demons, how do you cast out a demon? Power or authority? Authority. You cast them out in his name, in his authority. Okay, when you say, in that name of Jesus, it doesn't really matter. You are exercising your authority as a policeman of the kingdom of God. You're exercising authority and you're removing that spirit. If you're going to heal somebody, you are generally going to be releasing power, not authority. Authority will work for some things. Sometimes if someone has the, um, like a broken bone or frozen shoulder, I'll command the shoulder to be healed. And it works. You can do that. But as effective is to stand there and let the power of the Holy Spirit flow in and, and just heal them with, without command. Okay, we have a lot, these are different tools. So we have a tool, it's called power. We have a tool, it's called authority. In November, if you were here, you remember, during worship, Tom was laying down back there with sciatic nerve pain and really bad back pain. And this dude was limping around all week. All week he had this back pain, sciatic nerve pain. He comes here Friday night in worship. That glory here was so incredible. I remember it. And Tom comes running out here and he's jumping up and down, moving and hollering, bunny hopping all over the place. Go God! Go God! Because he got healed. He got healed. No one prayed for him. No one prayed for him. He got healed in the glory. God's presence can heal us. Which is why... When I pray for people to be healed, I always ask God to bring His presence. Because sometimes they get healed without you having to pray at all. And I'll tell you what, that is the easiest way to get someone healed. So, I wrote this book, Divine Healing Made Simple, and it's all about healing. It, I have a chapter in there on how God's glory heals people. A chapter on power and authority, chapters on how to raise the dead, deliverance, all that. Does anybody want it? There, fast hands. <laughs> that hand went up fast. So, I have seen many people healed in God's presence. We are carriers of His presence. The Lord does not dwell in temples made of hands, He dwells in us, right? Amen. And we can release his presence. And I was standing at an event one time, and this guy walks up, and he's standing next to me, and I had no idea who was there. He had a toothache. He, after we're there for a few minutes, he walks over to my friend, tells him, I just walked over by that guy over there, the bald guy, and my toothache was healed. Amen. <laughs> he said, I felt a presence coming off of him. When you guys arrived, I was standing there and I could feel this presence coming off. The next thing you know, his two things. You know, Amen. Didn't have to pray. 
They didn't have to command a spirit to leave. You got healed by the presence that we carry. Easy. Easiest way to get people healed. Just let the glory heal them. Spread the glory, Lord. Go get them. I'm going to go over here and have a sandwich. (laughs) So, if you learn to cooperate with God's presence, it's a really cool way to get people healed. I had a dream one night, and in the dream, I was praying for an emergency room doctor who had arthritis in his elbow. And he wanted to be healed. And I was praying for his healing. I've seen a lot of EMTs and paramedics healed. I've seen nurses healed at nursing homes. ER doctors healed. It's really fun praying for people in healthcare. Yeah. (laughs) So in the dream, I was praying for this ER doc to get healed. And in the dream, the Lord showed me that getting him healed was secondary. The main goal was for the doctor to feel his presence. Amen. I had a woman send me a message this week on Facebook. She says, I'm praying for people. I work in health care. I don't want them to be disappointed. How do I pray for them? And, and what happens if they're not healed? And I said, okay, well, just think about this. What if they feel God's presence? What if they feel his glory? What if they feel his peace? And what if they know that he's real and, and their thing is healed? And she goes, that's brilliant. Because I always, people always feel God's presence when I pray for them. I'm like, okay, so what's wrong with that? Here's the thing. Holy Spirit is a big boy. Okay, he doesn't need us to do all the work. What he wants us to do is make the introduction to them so they can feel his presence and know he's real. If you want to introduce people to Jesus who don't know Jesus, introduce them to his presence. When they feel his presence, when they feel the weight of glory, when they feel the tingling, when they feel the heat, when they feel his manifest presence all over them, they're going to have a personal interaction with God they will never forget. Amen. I was praying for a dude who was in the emergency department, young guy, 30 years old, he was having a heart attack, really bad chest pain, freaking out because the doctor told him you're probably going to have, have either bypass surgery or, or stents put in. Young guy, anxious, nervous, sweating, just freaking out. Get him in the ambulance, ask him, hey dude, can I pray for you? He goes, yeah, man, that'd be awesome. So I put my hand up on his chest, and I commanded the pain to leave. Lord, bring your presence. Pain, I command you to go. Lobosmatic nonsense for two or three minutes. And I said, man, like after 10 seconds, awesome. Why don't you tell me? And then he goes, then he goes, no, no, he goes, check this out. And he goes, I, when you started praying, as soon as you started praying, I felt this peace wash over me. Complete peace. He goes, I have no anxiety or fear at all. None. And I said, you do know that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Because when his presence comes, he brings peace. And you feel that peace. You feel that joy. Whether the person gets healed or not, you never really know for sure. But if they feel his presence, they're going to have something they can remember. They're going to know he's real. And then, maybe tomorrow, they'll be hanging out uh, in the kitchen, cooking some pasta. And the glory will come, and they'll feel His presence, and they'll feel the joy, and they'll feel it. 
The Lord will continue the relationship if we make the introduction. Tom, how'd you like to help me out? So, there's a passage in scriptures where some guys, mates, brought their mate to Jesus, ripped off the tiles off of his house, and lowered him down into the house on a pallet. And Jesus was there with the scribes and Pharisees. And we have an interesting interaction where Jesus is revealing some principles of the kingdom in the, in the Luke passage where it shares the story. Okay. It says, and the, the presence of, or the power, oh gosh, I want to read it now. It's, it basically says the presence of the Lord was there to heal. The presence of the Lord was there to heal. Now, how many places in the Bible do you read where it's specifically the writer says the presence of the Lord? Luke? Yes, the dog. Not, not the Matthew one, but yes, Luke, you're right. I didn't even think about that until now. Because I looked it up because I went to the Matthew passage and realized it didn't say it there, but in Luke it says it. Luke is a very analytical uh, book. Luke is a physician. He always notes fine details about things like the presence of God was there to heal. Who would note that but a doctor, right? Okay, and at that point, they're just you know, they're just interacting. He's got scribes and Pharisees everywhere. There's nobody being prayed for healing, but it says that, which is, I think, significant. Jesus knew that the power of God, the presence of God was there to heal. And you remember in other places in the scriptures, it says he did not do many miracles in those villages because of their unbelief. Yeah. Okay, so people weren't bringing them to, to their sick to Jesus because they didn't believe in him, didn't believe what he was doing. Here's a situation where there was some unbelief. The scribes and Pharisees were not his buddies. But there were people there who wanted their mate to be healed. Jesus looks at the paralytic. Yes. So they, they bring him through the roof. They break open the tiles, the friends do. And they lower him down through the roof in front of Jesus. Yep. Then Jesus looks at the, at the, at the young man and says, Your sins are forgiven. Amen. What does that have to do with healing? Silence, crickets. What does, what does, okay, the guy's a paralytic, and obviously his friends want him healed. Jesus doesn't heal him. He says, your sins are forgiven you. Why? They talked about their sins of the past, and that was why some of the people we thought were lame or whatever. Well, what, what a point, because you remember the blind person, and they asked Jesus, who sinned? He or his parents. Right. right. Who sinned that this man was born blind? He or his parents. Jesus said, no one sinned. He was born this way so that the power of God would manifest in him. Okay. So, John 9. One of the few passages I actually know. Um, only because I've had so many arguments about it. <laughs> That's good. All right. But here's what I've noticed. Christians can be very difficult to heal. I'm sorry, it's not personal, it's professional. It's just my assessment. It's, in many cases, it's much easier to get atheists and agnostics healed than it is to get Christians healed. Because atheists and agnostics don't have a lot of garbage and wrong ideas about God, like we do. Because all they think about is, who cares, whatever, God doesn't exist. We, who know God exists, have been 
brainwashed and programmed into thinking, maybe God has a purpose for me to be sick. Is that something an atheist ever thinks about? No. Guarantee it. I was one. We never think about that stuff. Only Christians think about, maybe God really doesn't want me to have this job. Maybe God had a purpose for me to be beat up and, and sexually abused when I was a kid. Maybe God doesn't really love me like people say he does. See, we're the ones who get poisoned with a lot of bad theology. And in the first century in Judea, there was a lot of bad theology. And this paralytic had some bad theology. He was in front of a bunch of scribes and Pharisees who, in their mind, keep the law, and God is not real happy with you because otherwise you wouldn't be sick. I'm guessing Jesus told him, your sins are forgiven you, because his awareness of his sins and created a wall between him and the Father. And Jesus needed to take the wall down. So Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. And what did the scribes and Pharisees do? They applauded him. Yay! No, they said, who is this man who says he can forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. So Jesus says, what is it easier for me to do? To say for him that his sins are forgiven or to have him take up his mat and walk? Now what's easier? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven you because you don't have to prove it. Any one of us could say, your sins are forgiven you. In fact, Jesus said, if you retain anyone's sins, they are retained. But if you forgive them, they're forgiven. Amen. And actually, the reverse is true to the Pharisees, though. Right. They actually had a hard time. Nobody can proclaim forgiveness except for God. Right. So it would be harder for you to say that. Matter of fact, it's blasphemy if you say that. It is blasphemy. In the natural, it's easier to say it. To the religious leaders, it was blasphemy. They could take him out and stone him for that. But then he turns to the paralytic and says, pick up your mat and walk. And he does. That you may know that the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins. sins. <laughs> right. Take up your pallet and walk. So he ties in the issue of forgiveness of sins into physical healing. What I have found a lot in the last few years when I run into people who have had prayer over and over, and they still have symptoms of a stroke, and they still have neck pain, and they still have back pain, and they still have autoimmune disease, and they've received lots of prayer. If you get those people through a little emotional healing program, many times those symptoms are gone. They Amen. leave quickly. We have power. We have authority on my tool belt. I got authority on my tool belt. I have God's presence, another tool on my belt. And then we have things like emotional healing. To so the next tool, which is words of knowledge. In Tucson on Monday night, I had a woman, I was teaching the same lesson I'm teaching here. And afterward, a woman comes up to me and goes, can you pray for me? I have ringing in my ears. Do you have any, any like silver bullet for that? No, not ringing in the ears. Anything but that. I would rather raise somebody from the dead than to bring them in. I swear. Uh, I don't, I do not have the silver bullet for ringing in the ears. And I have 
received many prayer requests and many private messages and emails from people who have ringing in the ears. And they're like, I don't know what the big deal is, but I can't figure out what it is, what causes it. I don't, I don't know anybody else who does either. I have a friend who has like probably an 80% record for dental miracles. I don't know anybody who has the silver bullet for ringing in the ears. Okay? Uh, Sherry Evans is a woman that has the dental miracle anointing. I have like zero for 25 record with uh, ringing in the ears. So, but I said, okay, well, I'll pray for you. Be of little faith. <laughs> I'll pray for you anyway. So, she's standing there in front of me, and I close my eyes. And I'm, no joke, I see this thing. Like, in my mind, I see an image of her. And I see this thing that looks like a choya branch. It's got spikes all over it, and it's stuck right on top of her head. She says, no joke, I said, what do you feel right now? She goes, I feel like there's something stuck on the top of my head. Like, it's poking in right there. <laughs> this is too good. <laughs> so easy. If you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's going on, right? So... I did a prophetic act, and I just, I'm taking this off of your head. Okay, that's all I did. She goes, oh my gosh, I can't believe you did. What did you do? She goes, I feel like there's cold air rushing inside of my head right now. Like you ripped open something. There's cold air rushing in, and the ringing is gone. Okay? I was like, really? It's that simple? By the way, so demonic devices. If you want a really interesting book, if you want to develop your ability to see in the spirit, I would recommend getting the book The Veil by Blake Healy. If you want to see what's possible with seeing in the spirit, it's a great book. I have a friend, Matt Evans, who is has a very acute ability to see in the spirit. He sees demonic devices on people everywhere he goes. Like Blake, yeah, he will see booby traps. He will see bombs strapped to people. He sees chains hanging off of people. He will see spears and knives impaled in people. He will see metal bands that are around their head. And when he's doing ministry, he removes demonic devices. So he cuts off the metal bands and he removes the booby traps and he pulls out the spears and then does healing prayer to get those people healed. If you have received a lot of prayer for healing and haven't been healed, you may have a demonic device that's been attached to you that you don't know about. You need someone who has an ability to see that thing and remove it. And it's just a simple prophetic act. And it works. But you have to see. Jesus said, the Son can do nothing of himself but only what he sees the Father doing. Right? Right. How did Jesus manage to get all these people healed? All these people raised from the dead? Kicking out demons left and right. Because he knew what the Father was doing. He knew who, he knew how. He was in constant communication with the Father. The Father was telling him, this time, really do it this way. So he sees the blind man on the side of the road and he walks over 
And he says, Father, what are we doing this time? And the father says, grab some dirt, spit in it, make some mud, stick it in his eyes. And Jesus is like, are you sure about that? That's really weird. Father says, trust me, that's what we're doing this time. So he makes the mud, puts it in the blind man's eye, and says, go wash. And his disciples restored. If Jesus would have done it any other way, it wouldn't have worked. Because he said, the son can do nothing of himself. Only what he sees the father doing. If I tried to get that woman healed, of the ringing in her ears, any other way except what the Father was showing me wouldn't have worked. You have to do what the Father is showing you. That's the way to do it. Yes. David, I've been thinking, and you because you've used this illustration about the blindness throughout the week, yeah. and there was the one person who made the mud. There's the other guy. He just spit in his face. Right. <laughs> just right. spit in his face. And the other guy, then he commanded him, see. Yes. So there's three different ways that he did it. And it was like, whatever the Spirit was doing, he had to obey. For the centurion's servant, he said, your servant is healed, go home. Yes. Okay? Didn't say anything, didn't dress, didn't rebuke, didn't mud, spit, nothing. He just said, your servant's healed, go home. Right. And that was after the centurion talked about knowing about authority, though. Too. Authority. The centurion said, I'm a man under authority. If I say this man come, he comes. If I say go, he goes. I understand authority. You're a man under authority. I know at your word he will be healed. Amen. Right. So, I was going to say there are many ways to do it. If you're, if, by the way, you would sit there and go, "You're going to let somebody spit in your face." <laughs> but I remember when I had MS, I was like so desperate. It was like I didn't care what it took. I wanted to be healed. Whatever so, it takes. So my wife, like, she found out about carrot juice. So she bought like. Pounds upon pounds of carrots, you know. We made this juice, and we turned orange. We turned orange. But it didn't matter, because it was like, if that's what's going to heal me, I want it. So the truth is, if, if your spit Jesus is going to heal me, spit all over my face. Just go for it. Just go for it. When you're desperate. Whatever it takes. What, whatever the Lord is showing you, that is the right thing to do. Okay? And seeing visions, seeing in the Spirit... Seeing demons, seeing angels, seeing words in your mind is not a gift. It is an innate ability we all have. Anyone can do it, even if you've never done it before. Prior to 2008, I never saw a vision. I didn't have dreams. I wasn't a visual person. I just didn't see stuff. And then I started doing some exercises. And I got alone. I got quiet. I asked the Lord to show me things in my mind. Very slowly, over the period of several months, I developed a pretty good ability to see in the Spirit. And if you want to know about that, I, I have a little book about that. <laughs> see in the Spirit. Do the exercises. Okay. The people who give me feedback on the books have said 75% of the, of the most important stuff is doing the exercises. If you don't do the exercises, it's not going to benefit you. If you do the exercises, you will start to see the Spirit. Okay? So, another tool in the tool belt is seeing in the Spirit, getting 
visual revelation from the Holy Spirit about what He wants us to see. There's another tool. Hearing God's voice. I am probably a better seer right now than I am a hearer. I hear God's voice, but I don't hear an audible voice. When I close my eyes, I almost always see something in front of me. There's always some visual stuff going on in the spirit world. In a sense, seeing visions is hearing God's voice. It's a way he communicates to us. But he also communicates through the still, small voice. And some people are very acute at their ability to hear what God is saying. My greatest acuity for hearing God's voice is when I'm writing. When I sit down at my computer and I'm working on a blog post or a chapter in a book, I get myself quiet, try to just kind of all the chatter that's going on inside my brain, I try to settle down the chatter. And I, and I just ask the Lord, okay, I need some revelation about the difference between power and authority because that's what I want to work on today. Can you explain to me the difference between these two things? And I won't have clarity and understanding when I start writing. That's the key. I have some presuppositions and some ideas and some things that people have taught me but I don't have clarity on it. So I sit down and start writing. And I'm writing an introduction about power and then this thought comes to me. Power is like energy. That's good. Then, oh yeah, yeah. So energy, like the energy healers and new agers. Yeah, yeah, I can write that down too. Oh, hang on a minute. So power, when you said you, you received power from on high, okay, I got that. I can write that down too. This is how I actually wrote my outline for this class. The Lord gave me little thoughts. Now, when you're in this process of hearing God's voice, it's easy to think, oh, I just figured this out. I'm pretty smart. Ooh, I didn't know that before. Ooh, I'm, I'm just brilliant today. I'm just figuring all kinds of stuff out. If I, if I didn't know how sneaky the Holy Spirit was, I would attribute all that stuff to me. I'm just a great writer. I just figure stuff out. I just get all this revelation because I'm smart. Well, it's not that. It's not how it works. I, I know going into this, I do not understand how this works. I just say, Lord, you need to explain it to me. And then help me explain it to these guys. So, I have these thoughts that just drop into my mind. And I write them down. And then another thought, and another thought. And then he connects the thoughts together into a paragraph, and then a chapter, and then a book. God speaks in many different ways. Most of us are hearing his voice right now, and we don't know it. We attribute it to something else. We blow it off and think, oh, that's not God speaking, that's something else. God is much more communicative than you want to believe. The, the secret, and actually most of you are seeing visions already and you don't know it. You're blowing it off as something else. Most of us are seeing visions, most of us are hearing God's voice very well. We just don't realize that that thing we saw, that that thought that popped into our head was actually God. The key is to understand that 
is to filter and understand that these are the ways that he's speaking to us already and not attributing it to something else, not blowing it off. So, I wrote this book called Hearing God's Voice. It's a book. You? Okay. <laughs> All of my books are very broad in scope. In this book, I talk about how God speaks through art, through music, through film, through circumstances of our life, through our conscience, through the weather, through people that we know. This book talks about the many, many different ways in which God communicates to us and we're not aware of. Amen. Okay? So, just let me know. Here you go. If I'm praying for time to be healed, here's my dummy type, and I have still not healed, I'm looking with my eyes closed, it's easier for me to see with my eyes closed. You can do it with your eyes open, it's easier for me to do it with my eyes closed. It doesn't matter. And whether you see a vision as an open-eyed vision, your mind, it doesn't matter. The revelation is the same. So don't get too freaked out about that. If I am not particularly seeing anything in my field of vision, I can ask the Lord, I can quiet myself down and try to hear what he's saying. And if I hear something like Freemasonry or witchcraft, that's kind of important to know. Yeah. Because it, now we're talking about something that I may have to do some work in this generational line or I may have to take him to the court of heaven. Hearing God's voice and hearing that revelation that is important. So hearing God's voice is another tool. Most of us are familiar with one or two tools. And that's our gift. And that's our thing. It's our comfort zone. And we don't really operate very well in the other ones. And there's no reason why we can't. We can all hear God's voice. Amen. We can all see in the Spirit. We can all get words of knowledge. We can all invite God's presence. We can all use authority. We can all release power. All of us can do that. There's no reason we can't use all of those tools. So, I'm praying for Tom, and I close my eyes, and I see a seven-year-old boy crying in a room all alone by himself. What does that have to do with healing? Emotional trauma. So, what I have found over the last two years is every one of us has suffered emotional trauma throughout our lifetime. And the reason why spirits of sickness and addiction attach to us is because we have wounded parts of our soul that create a place of attachment for demons. Heal the soul, you remove the place of attachment, and the demons leave. I do very little deliverance anymore because I do a lot of emotional healing. It could be that the paralytic actually received some emotional healing and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Yeah. It's possible. I'm not going to say this is gospel, but it's possible that Jesus forgiving his sins removed some emotional trauma and that enabled him to be healed. Yeah. It's, it's interesting to me that the, that the forgiveness of the sins came before the physical healing. That's what I'm saying. And I have found 
with Christians who have received a lot of prayer, the first thing that I do is emotional healing before I do anything else. So, let's talk about emotional healing. I know you guys had the gal from Bethel here a couple weeks ago. She taught you a little bit about Sozo. Okay, there are many different approaches to emotional healing. They're all good. They all accomplish certain things. They all have certain limitations. I would recommend study as many approaches to emotional healing as you can. Study them all. Look at them. Learn what they're good at. Put it on your tool belt. Take the chaff and let it blow away. That's what I've done. I, we've studied Sozo, Livebusters, uh, Freedom Encounters, Scott Bitcon, local pastor. He does a pro process that we've used that I've taken a lot of good stuff from him. The Afostic. There's many different approaches. Here's the problem. If you have two hours to do a Sozo session, that's great. I was transporting people in my ambulance from local hospitals to local psychiatric facilities, and I had 20 minutes. Can't do a Sozo session in 20 minutes. And Sozo is limited in that it doesn't really get at the roots of altars and fragments, fragmented parts of the soul and emotional trauma. It, it does some other things, but it doesn't do that. So, when I say fragments and altars, imagine your soul being a t-shirt. You have one soul, one t-shirt. Imagine that time when your father yelled at you and called you an idiot when you were four years old, taking a piece of that t-shirt and ripping it off and dropping it on the floor. And then that time when your boyfriend told you you're a worthless whore and I don't ever want to see you again. You rip off another piece of this t-shirt and throw it on the floor. And then that time when your boss said, you're an absolutely worthless employee, I don't ever want to see you here again, you're gone. Rip off another piece and throw it on the floor. And then that time when your pastor said, whatever your pastor said, rip off another piece and throw it on the floor. And then the time, and then the other time, and then the other time. So, what you have by the time you're about 30 or 40 years old is your soul is a pile of broken fragments on the floor, which is why your emotions are a wreck, and you're defensive, and you're angry, and you're afraid to commit to relationships, and you're afraid of taking that new job, and you don't want to go up in front of people and speak, and you don't want to do this, and you're afraid of that, because all your life you've been beat down and told you were no good. And you have all this emotional trauma that has never been healed. And until you get that stuff healed, you are never going to be a whole person who walks in joy. After 35 years of transporting psychiatric patients in the ambulance, I finally asked the Lord, how do we get these people healed? I can see neck pain healed, I've seen tumors healed, I've seen blind eyes open, I've seen back pain healed. What about PTSD, depression, bipolar, etc.? The first time I asked that question, he gave me a dream. And in the dream, he said, mental illness is healed through love. 
Anyone want to explain exactly how that works? Because I had no clue. I thought it was nice to be a great t-shirt. <laughs> Bumper sticker. But there's got to be a little more to it than that. What does that look like? God is our Father. How many of you have fathers that were just awesome? Oh, one, two hands, three hands. Okay. Right, so most of us had really not that great fathers. God gave us fathers. His intent was for them to display the kind of strength and love and compassion and affirmation that he wants to show us. But our earthly fathers usually don't quite measure up to that. Unless they're really awesome. My dad was pretty dang good. He wasn't perfect, but he was pretty good. My brothers, oh boy, no. My, my brothers are actually the source of most of my emotional trauma. My dad, my dad was amazing. My brothers just kicked my butt every day. So. Now I was in the middle. We have eight boys in my family, and I was fourth. So it was, it was, it was a brawl every day of my life, especially as a teenager. And, and now that we're speaking about that, so because my older brothers were beating me up every day as a teenager when I came home from school, every day I knew I was going to get my butt kicked when I got home. Day after day, week after week, I would come home from high school knowing my older brother was going to pummel me into a bloody ball, ball. Every day. They were there. Eventually, my older brother got kicked out of the house. My dad told him to stop beating me up. And he didn't. And he got kicked out of the house. So, a few years ago, I was at work. And I started having these feelings of anger. And I'm normally a pretty relaxed guy. Pretty chill. Things don't really bother me all that much. But at work, every little thing was making me angry. Every little thing. My partner would not fill up the oxygen bottle after the end of a call. I would just lose it. I'd get so angry. And he would, you know, not do this. I would get so angry. And he wouldn't do the blood pressure the right way. So angry. It was just triggering anger over everything. And this went on for months. I mean, this was going on for like three or four months. I don't know why I let it go on that long. But I just, it was driving me crazy. So finally, one day, I called up Matt Evans, my friend. And Matt, I am losing it, buddy. we you, we got to do emotional healing. So Matt and I went through this emotional healing thing. On the phone, about two hours. We dealt with my anger. We found lots and lots and lots of little parts of my soul, fragments, call them. The difference between fragments and altars is not all that important right now. Think of parts of your soul that don't have a unique personality as fragments. If a part of your soul has a unique personality all its own, it's probably an alter. And then you're moving toward the spectrum of dissociative identity disorder, multiple personalities. Okay? It's a spectrum. So I went through this emotional healing process with Matt, and I got healed. The next day, I went to work, and I ran into a woman who was in the emergency department. 
because she pushed her husband out in front of a transit bus and tried to kill him. Wow. So she was had homicidal thoughts. So I go to the hospital and I'm reading her chart, the social workers doing the evaluation before they commit you for mental health treatment. And I saw that she was raped when she was a teenager. She told the social worker that in the, in the intake interview. So I was like, okay, that's probably important. So I get in the ambulance and we're transporting her to the psychiatric facility for intake. And I told her about a three-minute version of my emotional healing from the day before. And I said, do you want him to die? And she knew who I was talking about. I didn't even tell her what I was referenced to. I just said, do you want him to die? And she goes, I don't want him to die. I just want him to go away. And I said, you're angry. Okay. You tried to push your husband out in front of a transit bus. The time before that, when she was admitted to the emergency department, she tried to stab him with a knife. And the time before that, she punched a hole through the wall in their apartment. So she was triggering anger and trying to kill her husband. And I said, I understand anger. And I just got healed of it. Would you like to be healed? And she said, yes. And I said, okay. We're going to be there in about eight minutes. <laughs> I can't do this real fast. Okay. And we're, I mean, I already did vital signs. I'm writing my chart. I gave her my testimony. So I said, okay, let's try this. Repeat after me. And if you're taking notes, write this down. I already knew what her emotion was. It was anger. She told me that. She told me that she was suffering from anger. The first thing you need to do is identify the emotion, not why. When you're doing this with people, if they start to tell you, I feel anger because my mother, you don't understand how evil she is, and my, no, 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 none of that matters. It doesn't matter. The why does not matter. All we're trying to do is identify the emotion that they're feeling now, not when it happened, now. If they say, oh, well, when I was that young, I think I was feeling, that doesn't matter. What you're trying to identify is what, how they feel right now. So she said, yes, lots and lots of anger. And I said, okay, say this after me. Jesus, I ask you to take the feeling of anger from me. And she said that. I said, Jesus, I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. And she said that. And I said, say, I receive your healing. And she said that. Then... I asked her to think again about the time she was raped by this guy. And I said, what do you feel? She said, nothing. Amen. Nothing at all. So all I do is ask them what emotion they're feeling. Jesus, take the emotion from me. Heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. That simple. It's that simple. She felt no emotions at all after doing that process. Nothing. And what I've I've done this with hundreds of people since then. The emotions don't come back ever. They're healed. Now, if she had a similar event that had and she had the same emotion attached to that event, she'll feel anger from that event. If you get that event healed. 
then make sure to feel anger from that. 50% of the time, the person will feel an emotion, and you'll go through this process one time, and all of the emotions will be gone. The other 50%, with the other 50% of people, and I don't really know why this is, it's a little more common with women than with men. With men, most of them will go through one little cycle of this, and then all the emotions are gone. With women, it tends to be, okay, now the anger is gone, but I feel hopeless. So, what I'll say is, read after me, Jesus asks you to take the feeling of hopelessness from me. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. And they'll say that. And then I'll say, okay, now let's bring that event back up again. And what emotion do you feel? And then they'll say, shame. Okay? So I go through again. Repeat after me. Jesus, take the feeling of shame. Heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. With these people who don't get healed, completely healed the first time, usually three or four times through, all the emotions will be dealt with. And then you'll go through it and say, okay, now what do you feel? And they'll say, I don't really feel anything. Or they'll say, I feel peace. Or they'll say, I can look at it kind of like it happened to somebody else. Like an objective third person. And then you say, can you forgive them? And they'll say, oh, I have. Well, okay. <laughs> Here's the deal. I know a lot of people who have said, oh, I've forgiven my father for that, or I've forgiven my ex-husband for that. But they still feel the emotions. <laughs> they still feel the anger, the betrayal. They feel the shame. All the emotions that were associated with what happened to them, they still feel it. I forgave them, but I still feel it. Now that you don't feel the emotion, if you say, if you, you'll be able to forgive that person and pray for them because you will now see them the way the Father sees them. Without the anger, without the guilt and the shame. Forgiveness isn't really for their benefit. It's for our benefit. It sets us free. Does anybody want to join me in a demonstration? We're just gonna. I'm just gonna walk through the process so that people understand what we're doing here. Sure. Typically, what I'll do with the person is ask them. You can start anywhere you want. Most of us have many, many incidents in our life that, when you think about that incident, you just have these negative emotions. Whether it's resentment or rejection or shame or anger, whatever it is, if it's a negative emotion that comes up when you think about an event, that is a target that you should go after. I typically ask people either, let's start with the worst one or the one that's most frequent that you think about. So, which do you have an event? A person with several events. Okay. So, but I don't want to say their name. Nope, don't need to. Don't need to. Uh, what we're trying to do here is I'm asking them to remember the event in as much detail as possible because I'm trying to trigger them. I'm trying to trigger them. I'm trying to trigger an emotional response. I'm trying to trigger the altar or fragment that is holding those emotions. I'm trying to get that altar or fragment to come up into their mind so that I can introduce them to Jesus 
and have Jesus heal them. Amen. We're, we are triggering them. We're having them recall a traumatic event. It's not always necessary, though. If you're working with somebody who had trauma as a child, it's very common for them to have amnesia. If you have a significant part of your childhood that you don't remember, you probably have emotional trauma that needs to be healed, and you probably have some alters that are hanging on to those memories. If that's the case, the person doesn't necessarily have to remember the event. If they can feel the emotion and don't know what it's attached to, Jesus can still heal it. All we're doing is we're healing the emotions. We're not healing the event. We're healing the emotions. So we had this gal that we were working with, my wife and I, and she couldn't remember the event. Well, one option is you just say, well, what are you feeling? I feel rage. I feel anger. You just say, okay, well, ask Jesus to take the emotion, heal your wound. You don't have to always remember the event. So just to let you know, because some people won't be able to remember the event, they just had this really strong negative emotion, and Jesus can deal with that. What is the one event that when you think of it, it causes the most unsettling reactions? Just tell me about the event. So not very many months ago, uh, we were together, and I was to give, it was a wedding, and I was to give advice to the bride. It was at a luncheon, and I read scripture about putting on the wardrobe of love of God for your spouse, because I don't like to really give advice, because everybody's different. Anyway, that night, the next night at the wedding, someone came up to me and said, you know, I think it's really bad when we push religion on people. So, when this person said, it's not very nice to push religion on people, when you think about that, what what emotion do you feel right now? I feel belittled. Okay. So repeat after me. Jesus, I ask you to take the feeling of belittled from me. Jesus, I ask you to take the feeling of being belittled away from me. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. I receive your healing. Pretty simple. Yeah, I felt like there was a hole and it just left like that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that before. We sort okay. of pictured it going right. out. Sometimes, I have heard people say, I felt something lift off of me. And that's typically a demon leaving. <laughs> it's been evicted. And here's the thing, like I said, we have trauma in our soul. And the spirits are attached to that trauma. Once it's healed... They leave. They have no more point of attachment. This is why I hardly ever do deliverance. You don't need to. If you get the person healed of their emotional trauma, you're removing the attachment points of the demons, and the demons will leave on their own and go find someone else to harass. So, you're uh, the night after the wedding, the lady comes to you and says, I don't think it's very nice of you to push you with legend on people. What do you feel? Nothing. Really? <laughs> Offense? Anger? No. Nothing. Okay. So it's that simple. Now, now, here's the thing. I said every process for emotional healing has limitations. If she has, like, severe emotional trauma and multiple personalities, this little process here is not going to fix it. She needs 
deeper emotional healing, and that's a whole other course. But for generic everyday anger and thing, emotions that we have, this works really well for that. Do you have you have another event that happened with the same person or a different person? Uh, yes, this was a long time ago. Tell us about it. Um, we were all, t- a bunch of us were together in a hotel. Okay. And it was probably the third day. And this person was not staying in my room. My husband and I were staying in my room and our kids. But for some reason, we ended up together in this room without our spouses, which happens, this is how it happens, without the spouse. So they came up to me, and I don't remember exactly what was said, but it was something they would have never said in front of other people, ever. But she put me down again. So again, I felt very small. You feel small, belittled? Yes. Jesus? Jesus. I ask you to take the feeling of being belittled away from me. I ask you to take the feeling of being belittled away from me. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. I receive your healing. I didn't feel that this time. It's okay. Okay. So, squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) You want me to think of something? Totally fell for it. What I will sometimes do, it's not important, but I'll sometimes give them 20, 30 seconds time, just distraction, to let them reset their emotions, and we're going to go back at this again. It's all that was. It's cool. Shiny thing. All right. So you're in the hotel. Uh, husbands are gone. She takes the opportunity to come. Because you said, she said she put me down. I wasn't sure until you said she put me down. I was like, oh, okay. So we're dealing with that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 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 It's okay. No, no, sorry. So you're in the hotel, and husbands are gone. She takes the opportunity. She comes at you again. Puts you down. Yes. As you think about that, what are you feeling now? Now I'm feeling anger. Okay. So repeat after me. Jesus. Jesus. I ask you to take the feeling of anger. I ask you to take the feeling of anger. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I ask you to heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. I receive your healing. That time I felt it go. You felt it leave. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. This process is designed so that you can do it yourself. You do not need someone else to help you do this. Okay? I would recommend take Paul's advice. In Ephesians, he said, Do not let the sun go down on your anger, do not give the devil a foothold. Every day, we should be going through a little inventory of our emotions during the day. Oh, that lady cut me off. I'm so... Okay, Jesus, take the anger. Take the indignation. Heal the wound of my soul. Every day we can do this before we go to bed. And throughout the day, just take a little inventory of the people that got on your last nerve and give it to Jesus. And you are going to walk in so much peace. 
and freedom. So, in the hotel, the husbands are gone. I, it's important to kind of, for, for some people it's important to tell the story because they're trying to get that fragment to come up and, and talk to Jesus and get that feeling. So I always retell the story. But some people, they're tracking. They're like, they're thinking, 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 thinking about it, and they'll tell you, nope, this time I feel anger. Okay, anger's gone, this time I feel this. That's gone, this time I feel that. Some people are really hip to the program, and other people will have to push them all the way through. Everybody's different. So you're in the room with her, husbands are gone, she comes over, takes opportunity, and makes a snide remark, and how do you feel now? I don't feel any. Nothing at all. Okay. So, that's it. Jesus comes in, he heals a wound. Did you see him? I saw him. He came in, and he was in there, fixed the wound, and he's gone. It is, I love this process. It's so easy. Do you have another event? Two. <laughs> That's it, the only three. Okay, tell, so tell us about that next week. Okay, so I was not obedient because the first time I met this woman in my neighborhood, she, these other believers were saying, have you met this person? She's fabulous. I'm like, no, I met her and I heard God's voice say, you are not going to be with friends with her. Party pooper. I know. <laughs> well, now I know why. Because she stabbed me in the back several times. It's things she said or did. Both. Two-handed ninja. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it was in our neighborhood, so it's with people that I see a lot. Oh. Anyway, still. So she's since moved on. Um, so when you think about this woman stabbing you in the back, mm-hmm. and the things that she said and the things that she did... And she was in your neighborhood, and everybody loved her. Mm-hmm. How do you feel? Uh, they're stabbed in the back. I feel like... Betrayed? Betrayed. That's a great word. Yes. Okay. I don't always help people with words, but I think she was going to figure it out eventually. If Some people will feel this emotion, and they won't even be able to put a word on it. They'll say, I just feel this... Oh, like... I just, I don't know. I'll say, repeat after me. Jesus, take this feeling of from me. Here's the thing. This is not an English test. Okay, You don't have to spell it correctly. You don't have to say it correctly. Jesus knows what the emotion is. He'll have a name for it. All you have to do is identify, this is what I'm feeling, Jesus. Take this away from me. I don't want it anymore. Okay? Whether you have the right word for it or not doesn't matter. It's not a technical thing. Okay? So, um, where the heck were we? I get so distracted. I was betrayed. Who's throwing shiny things at me? Not <laughs> <laughs> All right. Did we go through the. Did you ask Jesus? Okay. Jesus, I ask you to take the feeling of betrayal. Jesus, I ask you to take the feeling of betrayal. Heal the wound in my soul. Heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. I receive your healing. No. Didn't feel any. Okay. So, you have this lady who's in your neighborhood. And everyone says, oh, she's so wonderful. You're going to love her. She's a good person. She stands you in the back. 
As you think about her stabbing you in the back, what do you feel? It's not so much what I'm feeling, it's I'm seeing her doing it several times. Oh! <laughs> I will warn you. Sorry. Do you see in the spirit? Okay. If you have a person who is able to see very well, sometimes they will actually see themselves at the time the event is happening. It's not uncommon for people to see themselves as a child going through the abuse. When the person says, I see this child, I see this little boy, I see this little girl, then is a time to have Jesus meet with them. Always, always, always do this with Jesus. Do not try to do this stuff without him. It's never, it doesn't go good. But if, if you get Jesus into the picture, he will then talk to the wounded child. And you will basically be talking to the person and say, what is the child saying? And they will usually hear what the child is saying, if they're saying anything. And then you can say, what is Jesus saying? They, if they're able to see the interaction, Jesus is going to do things. He will show them things. Many times a person who is wounded, Jesus will be with them, and he'll be holding them, or crying with them, or consoling them as they're going through the traumatic event. And you can say, what is Jesus doing? What is he saying? And many times, the fact that he's there with them, and they feel and see and know that he was there with them through the trauma, that will heal the emotion. That will heal the trauma. So, just to let you know, the person you're doing this with may start to see the event. If they see themselves in the event, ask if Jesus is there. Now, I don't... So, while you were talking, I asked Jesus, where was he during this time? When she was stabbing me in the back? Right. And he was standing back to back with me, like protecting me. Oh, I got your back. Yeah. I got you. Oh. <laughs> nice. Nice. Okay. So, Jesus. Jesus. I thank you for having my back. I thank you for having my back. I ask you to take away this feeling like I'm being stabbed. I ask you to take away this feeling I'm being stabbed. Heal the trauma. Heal the trauma. Heal the wound in my soul. Heal the wound in my soul. I receive your healing. I receive your healing. Sometimes I will have the person ask Jesus to give them the opposite feeling of what they're feeling. It's an extra credit. And it works. Um, so if the person is feeling anger, sometimes I will say... Just ask Jesus to give you peace. And he'll do that. If they're feeling shame, I will say, ask Jesus to give you honor. And he'll do that. Because the Bible says, he gives us the oil of joy for mourning. He takes our mourning and gives us joy. He takes our sadness. He takes our anger. He gives us peace. If we feel unworthy, he gives us righteousness and worthiness. He can give us what we're not feeling. So, there's this lady that everyone in the neighborhood says they're going to love her. She's awesome. She's great. And you find out that she is a backstabber. As you think about her backstabbing you, what do you feel now? 
you know what? I just turn and walk away. Turn and walk away. There you go. Uh, I, I, I think she's probably, you're probably healed of all that. That's great. Amen. Is that simple? Yes. Thank you so much. The only people I have not been able to get healed with this process is about three people that I ran into. I couldn't actually get them to go through the sales farm. They were, they were not going to go through it. Um, Denise and I had this woman over to our house, and she really needed some healing. And we started to walk her through the process, and I said, okay, tell me about this most painful event that you had with your mom. It was all with her mom. Her mom was abusive. She said, well, there was this one time she was yelling and screaming at me and my sisters, and she was carrying on and calling us names. And I said, okay, what emotion are you feeling? She said, I am so angry at her. And I said, okay, so here's what I want you to do. Repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to take the feeling of anger. She goes, and I wasn't just angry. I was so indignant. And she is such a rotten person. She should be here instead of you, me. She is the one who needs healing. I'm okay. She's the one. I've forgiven her. But you don't understand how bad she is. She did that for two hours. We tried. I said, look, okay, here, let me explain the process. You cannot rant and rave about your mom. It's, this is not about her. This is about you. And I need you to just give the emotion to Jesus. So I would say, let's talk about your mom. She goes, and another thing. She screwed me over this one time. I was going to write a book, and she was sabotaging the whole thing. And she had all these men over. And she would not talk about She couldn't take the emotions and give them to Jesus. Here's why. Uh, there is a subtle dynamic that goes on with emotional healing. And I found that out when I started having all these emotions trigger. Everything was making me angry. What I realized later was the Holy Spirit was stirring up the emotions. He was triggering my emotions. He was triggering the altars and the fragments. Either he was or the demons were. I don't know which one it was. But... I think it was the Holy Spirit, and I think he was stirring up my emotions to get me to call my friend Matt so I could go through emotional healing and get healed of this nonsense. Amen. When a person starts to feel these emotions coming up um, erratically, reacting to things in ways they wouldn't normally react, that's a key that you're ready for emotional healing. Some people are ready for it, some people are not. And if you're not, you're typically going to feel justified in your emotions. And this woman that I was working with, she had all, lots and lots of good reasons why she was angry at her mom. She was horrible. I have a right to feel that way. She was mean to us. I have a right to be offended. As long as you feel like you have a right to be angry, and you're justified in being offended, and you're not going to give up your rights to be offended and angry, and shameful and wounded, if you won't give up those rights, you're not going to be healed. Because you have to lay that stuff down and give the emotions to Jesus. And she wouldn't do it. Well, every once in a while, you'll find someone who is not going to give it to Jesus. They want to talk about how 
horrible the other person is. If, they, if they're going to do that, they're not going to get healed. They're not ready for it. Maybe at some point in the future they will be. Yes. Do you think she had chains and stuff around her? Uh, probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. All I knew is she was resistant to the process. She was not going to let go of her offense and her anger. She was not going to give that away. That was her. She earned it. She had a right to it, and she wasn't giving it up. So you put yourself in a prison, close the door and lock it, and throw the key out. I mean, you can open the door for someone, but they won't get out of the prison. They're staying in the prison. So, uh, questions? Comments? Yes. So what do you do in that situation? You know, you see the person there, they keep ranting and ranting, and you're like, wait, you know, there's a process. So what do you do? I mean, do you continue to stay there for two hours? Or do that was the first time I ran into somebody like that. <laughs> you cut it. I, I, I didn't know what I was getting into. And the reason I'm telling you that is you are going to run into people occasionally. If you use this healing process, and I would recommend it, I do most of this over, over um, Facebook chat. The hundreds of people I've done this with, I've done this over Facebook chat. I did this with a woman who lives in Europe. We were on chat. When Jesus said in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of nations, I am making disciples of nations over Facebook. Amen. I have friends in the UK, Sweden, and Denmark, and Japan, and South Africa. And I teach them, I pray for them, I give them resources, I help them get healed. On Facebook, I'm making disciples of nations. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. You want to disciple nations, you can do it on Facebook. It's easy. You don't have to have a million dollar bank account and send missionaries to Zimbabwe. I mean, you can do that. You can also do it over Facebook. What I do over chat is I just have the have person tell me, what are you feeling? And they type in, I feel anger or I feel shame or I feel whatever. I say, okay, say this out loud. Quotes. Jesus, I ask you to take the anger. I ask you to heal a wound in my soul. You see, I receive your healing. End quotes. Hit the return key and send it. They say, let me know when you set it. Put that in. They type back, okay, I set it. And then I say, okay, let's think about this event again. Tell me what emotion you're feeling. And they type out, I feel lost. And I type out, okay, I copy and paste the thing I just sent them and I cut out the last emotion and put in the new one. And I send it because I'm lazy. I'm a really bad typist. And then they say it. And I type back, okay, what do you feel now? We do this over chat. I do this all the time. And it's really effective. I did this over chat with a woman in Europe who had been beaten, raped, horrible trauma most of her life had been to 20 years of counseling with really nothing to show for it. Had been on antidepressants and had made no progress. I spent 20 minutes with her on Facebook, on chat, getting her healed. She said, I can't believe this. I feel no anger, 
no guilt, no shame, nothing. How did you do this? She goes, I spent 20 years in counseling and nothing ever changed. And now I feel like a new person. This, this technique is very, very powerful. Um, I have a friend, Kazuko is a friend of mine in Japan. Less than 1% of people in Japan know Jesus. Wow. There's almost nothing written in Japanese about the Holy Spirit wow. or the kingdom. Because we didn't do a very good job of evangelizing Japan. They love Bach, his music. They didn't care for his theology. When Europe sent evangelists to Japan, they loved European music and Many of the Japanese composers are, are very talented and love classical European music, but the theology, Christianity, just never caught on. Kazuko has been following me. She's a friend of mine on Facebook. And she is having a little revival in Japan that is based off of what she has learned from me and my circle of friends. It has to do with a holistic, integrative approach to ministry that uses all the tools. She started out praying for people to be physically healed, her friends and her neighbors, and started seeing people healed. Some of them were manifesting demons. She learned how to kick the demons out. Then she found out about emotional healing and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What Kazuko does now is when she has a new believer in her circle of friends, that she does emotional healing on them first, before anything else. She does emotional healing, she baptizes them in water, she prays for them to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they all pray in tongues, and then she does deliverance on them, and then physical healing. So emotional healing, baptism, baptism of the Spirit, physical healing and deliverance, all at once. She does, goes through all that with everybody that she disciples. Most of you have been in church for 10, 15 years and probably haven't gone through all that process yet. <laughs> she does it like first day for everybody. I hang out with some pretty hip characters on Facebook. They're all into healing. And most of them are into emotional healing and deliverance. And many of them are on the leading edge of what we're doing and what we're finding out. I intentionally stay connected to these people because I want to learn and I want to know what they're doing. And Steve Harmon and I and Matt have kind of figured out autoimmune disease in particular seems to be related to emotional trauma. Now, it's very difficult to get autoimmune disease healed through authority and power. But if you take them through emotional healing, many times you can get the, the symptoms will go away. That's kind of what we're finding out. With things like physiological problems like broken bones, uh, frozen shoulders, back pain, skeletal pain, torn meniscus in your knee, things of that nature, power and authority work really well on those. When you start looking at things like multiple sclerosis, Lou Gehrig's disease, autoimmune, cancer, 
your simple release of power and using authority is going to be much less effective. There, I have developed an approach for healing cancer. It's another lecture. Yeah. But you can go on my website, pragmatic.com, and I just posted an article called The Imperial Anointing that is really effective on cancer. It's not the silver bullet, but it's the, it's the approach that the Lord showed me. I don't always use it, but I often use it against cancer. It's a totally different approach. Yes, ma'am. I'm just going to ask you about broader things, like people that suffer in general from depression or anxiety. Yep. And might have either so many events or not be able to identify yep. events because it's more way of life. Yep. How can, can this be applied to that? Yeah. Um, anything that is panic attacks, anxiety related, those things are generally emotional trauma. If you can walk the person through uh, emotional healing and get them healed of the traumatic events of their past, usually the panic attacks, the anxiety, the depression, Flashbacks, all that stuff will clear up. So it's important for them to identify some events anyway? It, it usually is, and it's not going to be very, usually not dramatic for those people. Usually, for you're talking people who've gone through like satanic ritual abuse, that kind of stuff is very, very difficult for people to remember. But for most people who have the average garden variety emotional trauma, it's not usually that difficult for them to remember this stuff. It's not usually that painful. But if it is, and if they're resistant to recalling the specific events, not a big deal. All you can do, just say is just tell me the emotion that you're feeling and just work with the emotion. So if they're feeling depressed overall in their life, they're depressed, depression. If they're feeling depressed, okay, depression is kind of a nebulous term. Right. So there's hopelessness. That's an emotion. Despair. Grief. Many times it's in caused by the death of a loved one, so they're feeling grief. If you can identify specific emotions that go with the overall depression and work on one emotion at a time, that will help. I've heard, too, that depression can be anger turned inward. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if you can key into that, too, where they're angry at themselves, where they're shame and guilt, and they're putting it on themselves. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. Had a question here, and then you... Here, I'm going to give you guys because sure. You were talking about fragments, and you gave a visual um, example of it. What do you mean by altars? So the word altar is a shortened term for alternate personality. When you start looking into the clinical diagnosis of multiple personality disorder or dissociative identity disorder, you're talking about people whose souls have been compartmentalized and fragmented and they actually have different personalities. So if you've read the book Sybil, or know about it, okay, she had like 16 personalities, I think, and they're all different. And there's actually a Showtime show on, I think, about that woman who's got all those different personalities. That's what we're talking, an alter is an alternate personality, it's a completely different lifestyle, different worldview, different religion, there can be very night and day from the, from the core of their personality. That's what alters are. Yes, sir. Hey, Mike. My question is, um, I had a stroke. Yep. But my stroke is a little different than most. There's four kinds of drugs for a stroke, right? First, I didn't work. Second, I was dead. Third time, I was dead. 
that, and then this doctor went through your cooing, all him, boom, right? Okay. Told me I'd never be able to talk again. Yep. I can't, I couldn't write at all. I couldn't read at all. And teach myself that, you have to rewire your brain, right? Right. But I have a hole there. I saw my year ago, I put a, a brain scheme, there's a hole in my brain. Okay. So how do you seal, heal that? That would be however the Holy Spirit tells you. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying that to be flippant, but I would assume that would be a creative miracle. Yes, which is another tool in your belt. Can Go ahead and tell the story? Yep, yep, yep. You tell so, the story. I was in Colombia, and uh, there was a lady who brought her son and specifically wanted me to pray for him. And he was about four or five years old. He walked like this. His legs were all inward like this. He's holding on to the hand of his mom. That's all he can do. And so she asked me to pray. And so I'm, I'm with Randy Clark. Life is good, man. We're, you bet we can do this. Miracles are happening. Yeah, right. So I, I set the kid up on top of the stage. And I begin to pray over his, his legs. And I'm somebody who feels. So I felt heat in my hands and tingling. I went, oh, good. Presence of God is there in my hands. I will pray and put my hands on him. And I'm praying for him and praying for him. So I thought, okay, I'm feeling release. I'm feeling power. So let's see what happens. So I put him back down again. And sure enough, he's just stumbling again. He can't do it. So I put him back up. This time I, I asked the Lord. <laughs> ask the Lord. Hey, what should we do this time? I said, Lord, why didn't that work? Because I felt power and presence. What do I do here? And the Lord speaks to my heart. And he says, he doesn't need a healing. He needs a creative miracle. He needs his bones to be reconstructed the way that I originally designed them to be. You need to reconstruct the bones in his body. He needs a reconstructed miracle. Now, when the Lord speaks something like that to you, it's funny. The light went off and I went, oh, well, you can do that. Okay, well then let's do that. Okay. And so I come back around, and then all of a sudden, I'm also a feeler. I feel people's symptoms, and I could feel the pain in my arches. I could just feel this excruciating pain of walking, you know, the years of doing this. So I put my hand under his arches, and I speak life and healing into the arches. Then I feel the pain in the ankles, and so I take his ankles, and I start speaking life and healing, and I reconstruct the bones in the ankles and the bones in the feet. And I come back up, and I feel the pain here. So I... I speak life there and I reconstruct the bones and the tibia and point of all that stuff, whatever that is, and I'm just speaking into it. And I, I, I see that I can feel the pain in the knees. Oh gosh, years of walking, I can feel it. So I speak to the knees, I speak life, and I reconstruct the bones, and I put all that together and reconstruct them. So I pick them up and I put them down, and he goes like this, and he goes like this, and then something, this light bulb goes off in his head, and he thought, what if I go like this? And I go like this, and then he ran. And, this meeting, and the people parted like a sea. And he runs to the end of this sanctuary. And he runs to the end and he looks at me and he's like, what do I do now? And I said, come back over here again. And just this joy is on his face. He comes up to me and he goes, what do I do now? Do it again, do it again. But what was big was the Lord saying that it was a reconstructed miracle. And then, of course, if that's something he wants to do, they say, okay, we can do that. Yep. So, Denise, my wife over here, has had gluten intolerance for years. And she's received prayer from a lot of people. Now, she used to have a frozen shoulder. Uh, she got healed of that. She used to have herniated discs in her back. She got healed of that. Now she's got gluten intolerance. So we're going to get her healed of that. One night, a few months ago, 
I got real, real serious with the Lord. And I said, I am sick and tired of this. What are we missing? What have I not tried? What is the key to get her healed? That night, I had a dream. In the dream, I have this device in my hand that rearranges DNA. And I, I would hit this thing, and it would rearrange the DNA into a different combination. And I would look at it, and I could tell it was not the right combination. So I rearranged DNA again, and I looked again, and it was not the right combination. I, could just, I knew in the dream it was the wrong combination. Rearranged the DNA again, did it again. And then I did it one time, and I looked at it, and I could tell it was the right combination. I had the right combination of DNA. I took the device, and I gave it to somebody else, and they did the same thing, and they got the same results. They got the right combination of DNA. So the Lord was telling me in this dream, she needs her DNA reconstructed. There's a way to do it. I haven't figured it out yet. But there is a way to do it. So I am now asking the Lord, okay, how do we reconstruct her DNA? There's a, he told me there's a way to do it. I have not yet. So I'm, I'm going to continue to ask the Holy Spirit to give us understanding how this works. This is on the leading edge of where we're going. I mean, the Lord is giving us more tools. We just have to work with them and keep asking. So the thing is, I don't know exactly how to get that hole in your brain filled. Could be a creative miracle. Could be power. Could be DNA. I'm not sure. I don't know. I haven't asked the Lord. But if we ask the Lord for things like this, He will give us the answers. Yes. Can you help me? Yes. Sure. Hang on. Hang on. And I think there's one more tool for a belt that I haven't even thought of until right now. Okay. Um, don't always feel like just because you prayed once you're done. That's right. Uh, there was one time, another healing with a blind guy. Jesus says, what do you see? And he says, I see men walking like trees. And so Jesus prayed again. Prayed a second time. If Jesus had to pray two times, then I, being where I'm at, I just might have to pray three times. And, and I don't know what it is about three. There's something about three. And also, there was one time God had me press through for eight. And when I did it the eighth time, I got healed. So realize that there's something to persevering prayer. Ask and keep on asking. Knock and keep on knocking. Seek and keep on seeking. Perseverance is big. Yes. And so just because you prayed once and didn't see an instant thing, and I, that's one thing I'm seeing in Christianity, uh, in our Christian world now that we're starting to see some results with our healing, is we want the microwave thing. And we yes. think if it's not a microwave done, that it's not valid. But, uh, but another thing is to ask them about their pain levels. If it goes from an 8 down to a 5, rejoice. Woo! That's great! Because what they tend to do is, oh man, it's just a 5. And you go, no, no, that's great. We went from an 8 to a 5. Let's yes. pray again. Let's do it again. Woo! A lot of, I, I like to say, gee, if just Jesus healed you a little bit, let's pray for a lot of it. You know, let's go for all, the whole thing. Let's go for it all. Let's do it all. And so I try to encourage them with that and get them back onto, well, gee, you're feeling better. What's funny is some people will go from an 8 down to a 5 and they'll go, well, I can live with that. Thank you very much. And it's like, no, look at the pain. We just brought the pain down. Let's go for the whole thing. And they become content with that. It's like, oh, no, don't be content. Let's, it, God just gave you a degree of healing. You didn't have that before. I didn't give you an Advil. Let's go for the whole thing. Also, um, if you pray for somebody and they don't feel like they're healed right away, don't worry. Many times... It'll take them 10 or 15 or 20 minutes to realize they're healed. 
Or the next morning they'll wake or, up. Or the next morning they'll wake up. That's pretty common. We have some more questions, so sit tight. Yes, ma'am. I don't really have a question, but when he was talking about having a hole in his brain, yep. I could see a skull, like, you know, when the medical examiner examines, you know, somebody that's passed away, and yep. you see that hole there, yep. then they know that that's where the trauma happened. So we're going to have you pray over him. Yes, absolutely. Really? Yes. Because you've got a word of knowledge. Because you've got a word of knowledge. Yep. Yep. It was like a trauma, you know. Yep. Like so you're going to go pray over him. Yeah. Question? Yes, I have a question. When we were talking about the different <laughs> manifestations, um, of you know needing healing. My question is um, the autism spectrum. How is it healed? Uh, now many say it's demonic. Many say it's a blessing. Many say accepted. What tools should I use? Prayer. I have. I know of now about five people that have been healed of autism. Wow. Wonderful. So what happens when you hang out with a community of healers? You get to hear testimonies. Interesting thing about autism, I think three of the five testimonies that I know of were progressive. So the person was diagnosed with autism when they were three or four, and and they prayed. Mom was praying and praying and praying and praying and praying. And the kid would go to the neurologist year after year after year, and each time they went in, they would slightly change the diagnosis. The one kid that I know, when he was 17 years old, he went into his exam, and the doc said, you have no more symptoms of autism in your Another person, almost identical, but he was 24, when he went for it, in his last exam, and the doc said, you seem to be normal. Autism can be healed, sometimes it's progressive, uh, I do know one testimony of someone who was healed of autism fairly quickly. I don't have a silver bullet. I'm not sure. I don't understand exactly what's causing it. I do know it can be healed. I know of four people that have been healed of Lou Gehrig's disease. There's nothing that's, that can't be healed. Lou Gehrig's is another one of those things where it seems like lots and lots and lots of prayer. Multiple sclerosis, same deal. Lots and lots and lots and lots of prayer. Yeah, that, that, yeah, I don't have a scripture for this, but when I was healed of MS, we uh, <laughs> I ran into the church and I'm jumping up and down. The guys are saying, Tom, you shouldn't do that. And I said, I've been healed. And they said, no, you haven't. I said, oh, yes, I have. <laughs> 24 years. I'm now without a symptom. Thank you, Lord. And so I grabbed the guys together and I said, let's thank the Lord. Let's just thank him for his goodness. And as we prayed, I had a vision and I saw a dam. And it was being filled with drops of water. And he said, Tom, these represent the prayers of the saints. Everybody's prayed for you over the last seven years. Go back and thank each one of them because every prayer counted for your miracle today. So there's something to the collective thing. Of prayer. You have a question? Yeah. When you were talking about alter personalities, alter, yeah. yeah. Okay. So how do you know the difference between an alter personality problem and being possessed by demons? Oh, gosh. <laughs> there are differences between alters and, and demons. Some alters know Jesus and serve him. Not all of them do. Some alters are atheistic, some are agnostic, some are witches. 
Um, an alter has all of the features of a normal personality of the person. A demon is not human, doesn't have the normal personality of a human. So when a demon comes up and takes over the person, the demon will usually manifest as screaming, grunting, cursing, swearing, sometimes physical, you know, arms flailing, legs flailing. It's a very crude manifestation, and it is usually subject to Jesus, not always, and don't ask me why. Altars have memories of the person when they were young. Altars can tell you about a lot of insights about the individual. Demons don't have any of that information. It's hard to explain, but, but if, you, if you become familiar enough with emotional healing and deliverance, you will learn that there are definitely differences between demons and altars. And unfortunately, a lot of people didn't realize that. They've been trying to cast altars out of people. And you can't cast an altar out of someone. All you do is more damage. Which is why you have to be somewhat careful when you're doing this. Because altars need to be healed, not cast out. And it's a process. So if they're healed, do they go away? Sometimes. With altars, uh, it's always up to Jesus. Some altars will be healed and integrated back into the soul that they were broken off of. Some will go into heaven and hang out with Jesus. What mine was. I, the last time I went through emotional healing, we found a significant altar. It got healed and Jesus took it into heaven. Um, some altars will stay with the personality. All depends on what Jesus wants to do. He, he is in control of that situation usually. What's that? I said he alone is able. He is. Yes. He is. Uh, more questions? Yes, sir. John G. Lake, um, you know, he had a ministry where there was many, many healings in Spokane uh, with his healing rooms, but in order to be one of his healing technicians, you had to be assigned to somebody, and it was through a period of time maybe days or weeks or whatever, before some of the people were healed, but they kept praying for the people until they were healed. And when people went to him, when they went to John J. Lake's ministries, they would treat the people kind of as patients. And they'd come and, you know, be ministered to and receive something, and then they'd come back. And they were very successful because they persevered, and people believed for their healings. One of the things about John G. Lake's healing technicians is they went into the homes of the sick. They taught them the scriptures, they discipled them, they trained them while they were praying for them. This is what Jesus did with his disciples. He said, go into the houses, stay wherever they uh, allow you, eat what is put before you, teach them, disciple them, heal the sick. They went and lived with the people they were discipling. So that they're praying, they're teaching them the word, they're teaching them about the Holy Spirit, they're praying. They're persisting. It's a lifestyle. And when they get the people healed and discipled and trained, move on to somebody else. We're not doing that today. Yeah. We're not making disciples. Yeah. But, and this actually piggybacks on that. Because if you tell the person they don't have enough faith, I have people tell me that with MS. Excuse me, I know all the healing prayers. I was writing for a lot of these televangelists, these healing televangelists. I knew, and I had faith for my healing. What I needed was what God walked me through. 
which is, um, I call it walking through the valley of shadow. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We, talk, we, we want the big open expanse of the green pastures and the still waters that's on the other end of it, where the, where the, where the shepherd's taking us through. But we need to understand that when his rod of protection is showing up, that's a miracle. And when his staff is there and he guides us through something divine to help us through the valley of shadow as we're working through towards our healing, that's as big of a miracle as me getting the total healing. And that's what I'm going to be sharing in the next few weeks, is how to keep your eyes open for people who are walking through process to help them to see the miracles that are there every day for them. And as they rejoice in that, their identity gets changed, and then that walks them to the place of intimacy, which drives them to a place where they can get healed. Not everything is a process, but many things are. Yes. I have a friend who had multiple personalities, and the Lord healed her and integrated all of her altars in one night. Wow. God. Thank you, Jesus. For most people, it takes years. For her, it took one night. And the Lord told her, it doesn't have to be a process. Although many times it's required. For her, it wasn't. She had already been through the valley. She had already been through the refiner's fire. She'd been through a lot of stuff. And she just went to the Lord, and the Lord said, I'm going to heal all of your altars, all of this stuff. It's all being healed right now. She said she felt like a flash of lightning and went through her body and healed everything like that fast. But... For many of us, there is a valley. There is a process. If you submit yourself to the process, you will come out on the other side in glory, purified, submitted, obedient. And that is ultimately what God wants. He's looking for character refinement and transformation in all of us. The process is not so much to gain faith, which is what we've taught people. We've got to learn the right lesson to gain faith. The process is actually for you to change the identity of how you see yourself so you can receive from you. Uh, okay, I have a question. You said you had an altar. And then, so can we as people have altars but not be like clinically diagnosed with? Yes, so it's a spectrum. And it's difficult to delineate the difference between an altar and a fragment. But I had a Jekyll and Hyde personality. Normally, when I would teach, I would want to crawl into a cave for two or three weeks and not talk to anybody. Don't want to answer messages, don't want to answer the phone, don't want to go and speak. When I spoke at the Arizona Healing Rooms about five months ago, I I was physically and emotionally wiped out for three days. And I could not talk to people. I just hunkered down and stayed at my computer and didn't want to be around anyone. The Lord had showed me in a dream two versions of me. One was an outgoing extrovert who loved to be around people, and the other literally was hiding in a cave. He didn't want to be around people. Okay. I don't have I don't dissociate. So I don't have periods of amnesia, typically with dissociative identity or disorder or multiple personalities. The person will and I have many friends who have it. I have a Facebook group just for people with dissociative identity disorder. Typically with DID, or multiple personalities, you have a core of your personality, and then you have many different alters. And the alters can come up and take over 
and they are now running the show. They're running the body. They decide what hairstyle. They decide where you're going. They decide who you're going to party with. They decide who the boyfriend is. They decide everything. And the core of the personality is down. And the altar is up. And the altar calls the shots. So the altar will be up for a while and then go down. And the core of the personality can take over or another altar can take over. And with these people who have multiple personalities, you never really know who's going to be in control next. And when the altar is in control, the core of the personality is like in the back seat of the car. They're not in control, and many times they have no memory of what happened while the altar was in control. Because they have no conscious awareness of what's happening. They're in the inner world. With most people who have dissociative identities, there's an inner world where the altars and fragments hang out. And the demons are there, and the angels are there, and Jesus is usually there. They're in the inner world, and that's where the altars all hang out and talk to each other. One of them at a time is in control of what's going on in the external world. That's dissociation. I had an altar that wasn't necessarily like taking over control of the car. He wasn't like kicking me out and taking the car and driving it down the road. He was just sort of in the passenger seat suggesting sometimes I should just go hang out in the house, don't talk to anybody, we're not in that mood. My core personality was being influenced by my altar. My moods were being affected by the altar. We found this altar, and Jesus showed up. Literally, Jesus found him in a cave, in this inner world inside of me. He counseled the altar. He had to build some trust. The altar did not know him and did not trust him. You can be, your core of your personality can be the most on-fire Jesus believer. Your altar can be a Satanist, or a witch, or an agnostic, or a Buddhist. That's reality. So, my altar had this conversation with Jesus. He asked my altar, do you trust me? He said, I don't really trust anybody. <laughs> they had a conversation. He, Jesus got his trust. He led him out of the cave and then said, I would like to take you into heaven if that's okay. And the altar said, okay. And I saw the two of them. Was this in a dream? No, it was during the emotional healing experience. I was talking with my friend Matt on the phone, and I'm seeing this in my mind through a series of visual things. I just see that stuff. Kind of like what you saw. So, you can have altars and not dissociate. I think most of us probably have. If you have the tendency to turn into a different person in certain stressful situations, you probably have an altar. I had a woman, a friend of mine, was telling me a story about her husband. And when I was, we were talking about this stuff, she goes, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, it's my husband. Her husband and her and the kids would go to the Oregon coast for the weekend. She said, he was cool, laid back, never got stressed out, never got angry, except when they went to the Oregon coast. As soon as they got in the car and started driving to the coast, he turned into a spoiled, like, 13-year-old, attitude, angry, resentful, bitter. He would be that way the whole time. They were there. When they got home, he went back to being Mr. Chill, Mr. Cool, everything was great. He had an altar 
that was being triggered by the trips to the Oregon coast. Walter would come up, take over his personality. They would have to deal with the spoiled, angry 13-year-old for the whole weekend in a man's body. Get home, he's back to normal. My guess is he suffered some kind of emotionally traumatic event at the coast when he was 13 that created the altar. And whenever that situation came around, the altars and fragments are there to protect us. It's a protective My friend Brian Anderson calls it dissociative identity gift. He sees it as a gift. You see, because it, it's a protective mechanism. If you did not, if your soul was not able to be kind of compartmentalized and broken up and isolate the trauma and the emotions, you would be ruled by anger and bitterness and disappointment your whole life. What this does is it compartmentalizes the emotion so it can't control you. But when an event comes along that's similar to the one that created the trauma, the altar or fragment comes up and responds to that event based on the emotion. If you had an emotionally traumatic event with an ex-boyfriend when you were young, and an altar or fragment was formed because of severe fear or anger. And then later on in life, when you have other boyfriends or husbands, and you always react in anger or fear, the same reaction over and over again to that type of situation, that is an altar or fragment being triggered that's coming up and trying to protect you. That thing needs to be healed, and then you won't react that way anymore. That's the thing. See, this guy needed emotional healing. If he would get healed of the trauma associated with going to the beach, he wouldn't be that, he wouldn't have that attitude anymore. He'd be healed, and he would be normal when they go to the beach. That's, that's, that's a little more that I wanted to talk about as far as alters and fragments, but once you start going down this road and you start to understand emotional trauma, it starts to explain a lot of the weird, bizarre behavior that you have with seeing with other people. Can we stand in the gap for someone else? Like, if they don't believe, if they don't believe they have altars or um, that they need healing, what if they they're just good old Christians and they don't believe in the supernatural? None of that. Can we stand in the gap for them? Ultimately, we all have to take the red pill. You have to come to grips with the fact that you have emotional trauma that needs to be healed. You can pray for other people, and I do. And when someone sends me a prayer request, and they want to be healed of a migraine headache, I'll pray for their migraine headache. Someone sends me a prayer request for lupus, autoimmune. I will pray for them to be healed of lupus, but I will also I will ask Jesus to go and start working on their emotional trauma, and bring somebody alongside of them who can give them awareness that they might need to be emotionally healed. So my prayer for them is asking Jesus to go and start the work of emotional healing. You can always do that. If the person is not willing, and I think probably 90% of the people I receive prayer requests from, they'd be healed if they would seek out emotional healing, but they're not interested. I'm, I'm trying to bring more awareness to people about this. I think, it's, I think it's really important. Well, folks, that is our show for today. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for dropping by. 
If you're new to the podcast and you haven't been to my website, you might drop by and check out the articles I have there. If you have any questions or comments about the show, you can contact me at admin at prayingmedic.com. That's A-D-M-I-N at prayingmedic.com. You can also contact me on Facebook and Twitter. I'd like to thank you again for dropping by. I hope you enjoyed the show.